All right. Who's the married couple in the house? Uh huh. A lot of love over there. Right here, another one, yeah. And uh, who, who, I know it's not you. Uh, and then who is engaged? And who's looking for a date? <laughs> a couple of guys admitted it. I like that. Oh, my goodness. I, I got to say, uh, he was talking about don't go too fast. A lot of you guys is way too slow. And uh, there's nothing wrong with talking to somebody that is the opposite sex of you. And, uh, in fact, it's going to have to happen eventually. Or you're going to have every deal shut down. It'll never go. I, I remember, I, I really get frustrated about this. Maybe you're not the right age group because I, I don't know everybody's age here. But at some point, you guys have to have more confidence speaking to one another. Especially in the text age. Look, if God is for you, who can be against you? What can man do to you? Talk to one another. Just tonight, I'm not going to say who it is because I know this person's freaking out. But just tonight, I was trying to get a brother to talk to a girl in this room. And he freaked out, wouldn't do it. I told him it was rebellion. You're laughing, but he didn't laugh at all. So I remember, some of you might have heard this story. It was, I was just going through this frustrating stage because a lot of godly girls are in this church and they don't even have, they don't even get a date. And then a lot of godly guys won't ask them. So I was getting mad about that. So this one guy came over to me, and this is a true story. I've told it at church many times. He said, I don't know what to say. I just don't know what to say. Back in those days, we had scones in the foyer. How many remember those days? I don't think we have them now. They come in and out. Yeah, but they come in and out. Okay. Uh, we we got to bring them back. But this, this guy said, look, we got scones in the foyer. Just go over to her and say, you want a scone? Okay. I was kidding, but he did it. And she said, yes. So he came back. He said, it worked out good. What do I do now? I said, ask her if she wants another scone. He said, great idea. You're amazing. So <laughs> he went and asked again. So they kept eating scone. They were gaining weight, but they were gaining a relationship, and they got married two years ago. Bam, get you some of that. So just try it, man. Donuts, talk. Just talk, all right? Everybody say amen to that. Now, some of you, you talk to everybody. I'm not talking to you. You're just a big flirt. All right. I'm talking about the people that are loaded with fear. And you know who you are. It's about 90% of you. So get your Bibles out. Let's take some notes. Does anybody love the Lord in this place at all? Anybody? Uh, I have a lot of scenarios where I get to speak to people. I'll, I'll, I'll let you know that. But there is no scenario that I like more than this. And I'm not talking about because you guys are in circles around the room. It's your age. There's something about your age. The hand of God is on your generation. That's good news. The bad news is all of hell knows about it. So you'll never be able to get up and just casually serve Christ. There's a war after your soul. My generation, we could go to church, get a little bit of word, go home, serve God all day. Not yours. It's every moment, just constantly and in prayer and looking for friends that will fight for you. 
Why do we need to be that way? Because we're asked by God to be builders, to be a builder. And that's what I want to talk to you about. Write that down. I prefer you not to look at me that much. You don't have to yell. You can say amen if you want, but I'm not looking for any feedback. What I want you to do is take notes so you can understand this. I've thought about what to say to you, and I I really want you to, to get this. Be a builder. Builder. Uh, the number one question that people ask me uh, after, you know, it gets into content, uh, they, they want to know, how did you end up called into the ministry? I do not like answering that question because it's a big story and something really big happened. And, uh, and so let me tell you, don't look for a big story. Just know this, you were called to be in the ministry. If you're going to be a businessman, if you're going to be a doctor, if you're going to be a nurse, you're going to be, it doesn't matter if you're a dad or a mom, if you're going to be single the rest of your life, you, you do have a call on your life. But right now, I'm talking about the five-fold ministry call. And if you don't know what that is biblically, and this is not my topic for, for tonight, but biblically, the, the five-fold uh, is, apostle is one of them. Uh, an apostle is, is basically a fancy term for someone who does all of them. And it's usually someone who has a lot of emphasis on planting churches. And uh, I like planting churches, but I'll be clear, I'm not an apostle, not even close to it. But these are, these, these are some strong leaders. Uh, then you have some that are pr- prophetic. Uh, that is one of the fivefold ministry. This is somebody who just gets a word from God. It's usually very bold, and it's sort of like, thus saith the Lord or else. Uh, I'm, not, I'm not that either. I have some friends that are wired that way. I need them in my life, and they keep me around the fear of God. Then you have some that are evangelistic. I have a lot of that inside of me, and that's people that's just all about souls. They'll, they'll do anything to win a soul. It doesn't have to be a crowd. It could be one-on-one, but they're just, they feel called to win souls. Some of you, this is something that's stirring up inside of you. There's something about you even cheat when it's altar call time. You just want to see the hands, everybody. You just want, one day you want to just lead people into prayer to, to be right with Christ. It's a passion inside of you. Some of you have that. I certainly do. Some, it's a teacher. And uh, I'm wired that way. It's somebody who can take a difficult principle and, um, and, and, and make, it, make it crystal clear. And make it simple. And you like to explain things. Whether it's some recipe at home or uh, with the word of God. You're wired that way. You just like to teach. You study the word for yourself. But you also study the word to teach other people. It's about getting it so you can give it. And you just really love. Uh, you know, some call it like a, a revelation from God. And when you get it, you cannot wait to share it. You'll test it with some. And when it really works and helps people, you want to teach it even more. And you'll read books about it. And you love it. Uh, it could be topical. It could be verse by verse. But there you have it. Then then some, and this is the only people that are called into full-time, I should say, somebody that's called into the five-fold ministry is usually someone that'll go to the other ends of the earth just to do this if they could afford to do it. And uh, and the last one is a pastor, and I certainly have that one as well. So I have a little bit of evangelism, a little bit of teaching, and a little bit of pastoring. So I I want you to know that when, how did God call me? Man, he had to, he had to really work it. He had, I was never, I was never thinking about being in the ministry. I didn't want to be in the ministry. There are a lot of days I still don't want to be in the ministry. Um, By the way, my wife is here. Michelle, where are you, my baby? 
right there. That's my fine, fine, beautiful. That's my wife. Come on, give my wife. You can clap for my wife. And that's my son right over there. And uh, I'll tell you, that's Tanner. He's my youngest son, my third child. And I love that boy a lot. He is a man of God, and he's a blast. He's my friend. He moved away to Fayetteville to go to college, and I was mad at him, and he came back, and I love him again. So anyway, he was living up with the hogs. I called him my prodigal son. He's living with the hogs, and, and uh, but he's come back to the father. <laughs> But uh, he's going to our college now, which, by the way, it's an amazing school. We're going to raise up a lot of people in ministry there. And so if you want to be used by God, at least look at it. That's enough of that. But the way God called me is I, I, was, I was dating this girl before I was saved. And, uh, and after I gave my heart to the Lord, I really wanted her family to give their heart to Christ. They were all lost. His name was Smitty. And so I kept praying, Lord, I want to win a soul. So I tried to gather all my friends together, and I preached to them. And every one of them laughed at me and walked away. And I said, well, I'm just not wired for this. But I couldn't stop thinking about Smitty and his family. So it's a long story. I was a professional golfer back in those days, and I was going to Chattanooga. And when I, when I, got, to, when I got to Chattanooga, uh, I started thinking about Smitty and Gosh, I'm leaving out a lot, but basically I called him on the phone one night at about 10 o'clock at night, intimidated because I felt the Lord with the fear of God to share my testimony with him. My testimony was nothing more than I gave my heart to the Lord, said a prayer, and it felt good. And the Lord told me to tell him, and I didn't know how to do that. So I chickened out, and I went to sleep, and it was about midnight. And the Lord woke me up. And you guys, if you come to church here, you know I don't throw around God's voice. I didn't hear an audible, but I knew the Lord was like shaking me. He said, I told you to call Smitty kind of a deal. I called Smitty on the phone, and I said, Smitty, I was nervous. I said, Smitty, I got to tell you about something. He said, what is it? I said, hang up the phone and go to the other phone. And when he did that, we got disconnected. And so I went to sleep and decided not to call him. It was uh, maybe 30 minutes after, and the Lord told me again, call him. And I called him this time, and he was mad. He said, you woke me up. What's going on? And I said, Smitty, I gave my heart to the Lord, and I just wanted to tell you about it. And this is a man who probably never cried once in his life. It sounded like he was crying, but I know that that was not Smitty. You could strike a match on the palm of this guy's hand. I mean, he was tough. And I said, Smitty, are you okay? And he dropped the phone. He picked it back up. He goes, man, when you said I needed Jesus, I knew you were right. What do I do about it? This was really working out good. So I prayed with him, and I led Smitty to Christ. Come on with that. But the last thing I said to Smitty, I said, Smitty, in a week and a half, I'm going to be in Baton Rouge. I'm going to come and see you. I got some things I want to tell you about. And he said, good, I need, I need to know. A week and a half later, I went to Baton Rouge. I walked into my house. My mom was crying, and my dad was there. And I said, what's going on? And they said, Rick, we didn't want to tell you. You were playing in some golf tournaments, but Smitty, a week and a half ago, he was on his way to work, and he had a massive heart attack, and he died. And I couldn't even put my thoughts together, and they were trying to read me. And when the phone bill came out, we found out it was only about four or five hours after Smitty gave his heart to Christ that he was in heaven. And I almost didn't call him. 
And the way I ended up in the ministry is thinking everyone is a candidate to go to heaven if somebody will tell them. So I've spent my life telling them just in case it's that moment. And I'm going to say I have no regrets. I don't understand why God called me. I don't think I'm a good pick. Michelle and I never walk around thinking we're good. We're, we're good at this. No, I think I was a bad choice, but I am 100% confident he picked me. I don't get it. It seems like a bad idea, but I have swagger because I know he called me. All right? And I want you to have that, to be a builder. Can I have an amen? So we're going to talk about building. There's many misfits used in the Bible. So if you're here right now and you're thinking, I can't be used by God, think about, look, there was a lady in the Bible, she was 100 years old, and she had a baby. She birthed a nation at 100. We got people that David, he was a king, right? But when Solomon said, or Samuel said, I'm going to show up at your house and I'm going to tell you which one of your boys is a king, David's dad brought out all the fellas, but he left David in the back. His dad didn't even see that he had any potential to be anything. But God did, and he used him. And we know he he was a man after God's own heart, and he was a worshiper, but he was also an adulterer and a murderer. And What about people like the disciples? Most of them were uneducated fishermen. But they kick-started and built the church. What about Paul? He was a terrorist, and he built the greatest mission field in the history of the church. And he's the greatest theologian you'll ever read about. So I don't know where you are, but God wants to use you. And what I want to talk to you about is this guy in the Bible named Nehemiah. Would you write that down? Nehemiah. Everything I talk about is going to be about Nehemiah. I love studying about Nehemiah. He's a great leader. Uh, Let me tell you a little bit about him. Raise your hand if you know who Nehemiah is. You heard about this guy. He was a Jewish man. He was a cupbearer for a Persian king. There you go, Amir. Uh, Cupbearer, Amir is Persian. And uh, he was your cousin, bro. And uh, so, (laughs) but this guy, all he did is he would just, you know what a cupbearer is. He would drink stuff before Nehemiah did. so, So if it was poison, he would be the one that would die. And uh, so he's doing this for the king every day. And since he was Jewish, he heard that Jerusalem was in ruin. It was taken over through war, and it bothered him. Something's got to bother you about the things of God before you'll ever do anything. And it bothered him. He he just couldn't take it. So the only way he could ever get anything done is he had to use what he had access to. And that was his king. We'll we'll shorten this guy's name. Uh, We'll call him Art. And uh, his name is actually Artaziska, is actually how you pronounce his, his name. And uh, some say Xerxes. But this guy, Art, he was a tough king. And then Nehemiah went up to him and said, okay, I got to ask you a question. He said, will you make me mayor over all of Jerusalem? Because this king had some power. And he said, make me mayor over all. Come on, I know I'm just a cupbearer like a slave around here, but make me mayor over Jerusalem. I want to rebuild the walls. It's bothering me. 
And this guy, I don't know if he was in a good mood, but he said, deal, done. You're the governor. Go get it done. This Nehemiah fella, he took off, and, uh, and he built the wall in 52 days. This guy had incredible motivational skills. He had incredible leadership skills. Uh, he, was, he had organiz- organizational skills. Uh, he was able to get people into the middle of it all. Th- this is who God wants to use. Somebody who can organize a little something. Somebody who just says, yes, sir, I'll go. Somebody who can motivate. But here's one thing I know. We are all called to be builders. And here's the problem. We don't have enough builders. Write that down. We don't have enough people that are love, in love with God. That's why I'm speaking to your generation. This is what I'm aiming at. We don't have enough builders. We don't have enough people building the government that love God, that have wisdom. We don't have enough athletes that love God with wisdom. We do not have enough people in the arts community, in the educational world. We don't have enough. We don't have enough people in media, enough people in families. We don't have enough people in church. We don't have enough people taking care of the poor who are building, who will give it up at all costs to build and to make a difference. So why do we not? I think we can learn from the story of Nehemiah. I can't read the whole thing to you because it would drive you crazy. It would take forever. So I'm just going to give you some highlights, and we'll talk about it. I want you to see the phraseology of the people who are working around him and how they were not builders initially. He was a builder, and they started catching on to it. And you can see the difference of his posture versus their posture. And let's take a look at it. And in Nehemiah chapter 4, if you would turn, turn there in your, on your phone, or whatever it is, but I'm going to hit some of the verses right there in chapter 4 and verse 10 for these four points. There's four reasons that we don't build well, and we don't build, build at all. Number one, because of fatigue. In Nehemiah 4.10, if you just look at that verse on your phone, I want you to see it. I'm looking at the NIV version. But the first part of it is it says, the strength of the laborers is giving out. Now, I just want you to look at, it, look at me for a minute. Have you ever wanted to quit? Have you ever been tired? I know I have. I've thought about it. This is what's happening here, the strength of the laborers. Do you know that most people, when they fall into sin, they're just tired of not having it? If you, if you go out and you have a sexual relationship tonight or if you already are or drugs, you're resisting, you're resisting, you're resisting, trying to serve the Lord, and then all of a sudden, you're too tired to say no. And then you just say, yeah, that's what's happening here. The laborers, they started wearing out. Samson is a perfect example of what I'm talking about. Samson, he was around this prostitute, and she kept working him and working him. Write this down in Judges chapter 16 and verse 16. It says she prodded him day after day after day after day until he was, here's the word, tired to death, and he relented. It's fatigue. People in your generation do not typically, some of you are an exception to the rule, you do not get tired with your work ethic. I'll just go ahead and throw that out there. A lot of you are not getting up at 5 in the morning just trying to get things done and staying up till late at night trying to get things done. So your fatigue probably doesn't come from your work ethic, but it does come from your effort sometimes to want to serve the Lord. 
have godly relationships, to get in the word. Some of you open up the word and you know the Lord wants you in the word. But the labor inside of you for God, it's wearing out. You read it and you fall asleep. Xbox, you could stay up for hours, but you're getting tired around the Word of God. We also get tired because we don't have a a group, a, a ministry, friends like this. Could you look around the room for a minute? If I would have had this, I never had a friend growing up who loved God. No one ever prayed for me. No one to hold my hands up. This guy Moses, look at this. In Exodus chapter 17 and verse 11, you've heard of this. As long as Moses held up his hands, the Israelites were winning. Because he was building, man. But whenever he lowered his hands, the Amalekites were winning. So they were getting defeated. So when Moses' hands grew tired, when he was tired, some of you are tired. They took a stone and they put it under him. And he sat on it, and there, a friend named Aaron, another friend named her, held his hands up. I'm going to tell you right now, I don't care how strong you are in God, it is not enough. You show me one verse in the Bible where all you need is God. Well, I have the Holy Spirit. You may come from a charismatic ground. I have the Holy Ghost. Let me just tell you right now, you got to have some friends. You need, a, you need, you need a, an Aaron and a her. Somebody that can tell when you're dragging. Somebody can tell when you don't have, you, you lost a little bit in your step. I have friends when I walk in a room, they can tell when I'm discouraged and, and you need that. The disciples, they got tired. When Jesus needed them the most, they were sleeping. After three years of just pounding the table, all of a sudden, he said, come on, just pray. If you just, I'm about to die, just Please, just one hour, just give me an hour. Can you just give me an hour? He came back and they were all sleeping. And that's what happens sometimes. You think, you know, the Lord is saying, just give me an hour. Come on, just an hour in the morning. Come on, at night before you go to sleep. I just need a little bit of time. Give me five minutes, just five minutes. And then you just roll over and you're doing something else. Well, the Lord is not trying to condemn you. He didn't condemn them. He just wants you to stay with him the next time he asks. And that's where you're going to have to have friends that say, hey, I'm in with you. I'm in. Uh, One of my best friends, his name is Chris Hodges. And I was on staff my last few years of being on staff at Bethany, and I I realized, wow, I know how to do this thing. I I was confident in all of my roles. and This is not true, but I'll say it, and you you just got to read between the lines. I didn't really need God anymore to do... My, my job but I also didn't have God anymore so I told Chris and I'd been reading a book by uh, Dr. Cho of Korea how these people would get in for days at a time in like these little rooms that were like as small as a doghouse, and they would go in there and just pray in Korea this church had a million people in it I mean you know that's bigger than, than, than this room and so I kept thinking, man, I want to go to Korea. So I turned tur- tur- to Chris. I said, Chris, you just don't seem like you're praying much. And he goes, you're right. He goes, but you're not praying much either. I said, no. I said, let's go to Korea. And then we realized we didn't have any money. So we, <laughs> we couldn't go to Korea. So we had to pretend. So we would meet every morning. If I'm not mistaken, for a whole month, we met every morning at 5 a.m., which I, I was still had a lot of energy, and I stayed up late. That, that was tough, but we met and we prayed every morning at 5 a.m. That was somebody holding my hands up. 
And we became covenant friends. He started his church in, in Alabama on February the 4th, 2001, the same year we did. We still call each other, holding each other's hands up. We made a deal. If his church fails, I will hire him. If this church fails, he'll hire me. And that deal's still on the table. Just you never know. You got to have a friend. Darren DeLon is my friend. He holds my hands up. Who do you name that holds your hands up spiritually? And whose hands are you holding up high in the air? Because when they drop, the enemy comes in. I'll just say this real quick. People that are in their 20s, they usually don't have a lot of endurance. And I'll give you a rule that is true, and you probably won't buy into it. But uh, this is the rule. You play now, and you'll have to pay later. Or you can pay now and play later. It's just something about paying that price, being with the Lord, and enjoying it for the rest of your life. Do not try to figure out your career, who you're going to marry, where you're going to live without the Lord. Come on, this is the time where you need him. This is the most critical and crucial time. Find somebody and say, hey, look, I'm going down. I'm in trouble. I'm looking at stuff I shouldn't be looking at. I'm with people I shouldn't be with. I'm doing things I shouldn't be. I need you to hold my hands up. Here's where they fall. Hold them up. Otherwise, the fatigue moves in. Number two, frustration. In that same verse, it says initially the strength of the laborers had given out, but now it says... And there's so much trash and rubble to be removed. And here's, here's my point on this. The project, and the vision, and the goals that God gives you, when you start doing it, it creates more rubble than the original vision. The, the amount of... Because we're doing ministry, the amount for me, you know, I don't, that's all I know how to do. So I, all my illustrations are around ministry. I'm sorry about that. But the amount of emails and the amount of work, and it's like you pray for God to move, and then the rubble that comes from that, because he moves, and people need you, and they need time, and they need more of the word, and they need small groups, and they need vision, and they need appointments, and they need more care, and the rubble. Sometimes that's what's going on with them. Just like the rubble, it's so chaotic. It's the rubble. A lot of times that's where the frustration comes in. The third thing you'll see in the same verse, we hadn't even left verse 10 yet, is failure. In verse 10 it says, and we ourselves are unable to rebuild the wall. Failure. Could you look here for a minute? There is no one in the world who has nothing but a string of success. You are going to fail. And I think that's the most positive thing I can tell you. In fact, I'll get more specific. Go out this week and attempt something that is going to cause you to fail. When is the last time you attempted anything that if God doesn't show up, you will fail? In fact, you don't fail enough. You draw a world around you that's just safe and secure. Like, I think I can do it. I know I can do it. Well, I can do that. And I can do this. Oh, I can't do that. I want to try it. Well, you're not going to fail. So it just seems that sometimes you have a warped sense that, man, I, at least I didn't fail. No, you didn't, <laughs> you didn't even try. I love the, the fact that I grew up around golf because in golf, if you, if you win 20% of the time, you're the greatest in the world, which means you're losing 8 out of 10 times. 
But it's just something about, man, it's just, it's just nothing wrong with failing. In baseball, if you bat 300, you, you are amazing. That means seven out of ten times you get up there to bat and you walk back depressed to the dugout. But this is what God is asking you to do in life. I mean, I'm not telling you go out and be a failure. <laughs> I'm not telling you that. But I am telling you to attempt more things that seem difficult and seem like you have to have a miraculous God in order to do it. So this week, go out and fail. Number four, fear. During the days of Nehemiah, there were so many enemy nations, and, and uh, they were getting criticized at first, and then they were being made, they were laughing at them. You read through the book of Nehemiah, they, they would actually laugh at them, like make fun of them. Have you ever been made fun of for your faith? And then they finally just said, we hate them, and then ultimately they said, we're going to come in and we're going to kill you. Uh, fear hit them at that time. Fear will make you look dumb. Look look at this verse. I'll, I'll prove it to you. Nehemiah 4.11. We finally move to another verse. Meanwhile, our enemies are planning to swoop down upon us and kill us and thus ending our work. Do we really need those last four words there? Thus ending our work? If you're going to be dead, you, you're probably not going to finish your work. Uh, fear will make you look down. Do you know the number one fear that people have is? It's, it's public speaking. You know what number two is? Death. That means if you go to a funeral, you would rather be in the casket than doing the eulogy. That's crazy. And this is what happens is fear, it tries to manipulate you and, and, and give you a false sense of judgment of what is, what is really important. Okay. That's the people around Nehemiah. But he kept building. He kept motivating. He kept praying. He stayed in the game. And they built that wall in 52 days. The city was totally in ruin. And they got it done. 52 days. Why? Well, let's look at Nehemiah. Number one, don't forget the heart of God. We have to recognize the crucial needs in front of us like God does. This is the way Nehemiah was wired, and you can see it in, the, in chapter 1, verse 4. When I heard these things, I sat down and I wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. Let me just talk to you just for a little bit about fasting. Uh, raise your hand if you, if you ever fasted before in any way. Uh, we do this every year in January. Uh, it's usually around 21 days. Sometimes we do it shorter. It depends on the mood uh, of everyone. Uh, but which is fasting is, they should call it slow because it is not fast. But, but here, here's what I know. Jesus said, when you fast, do these things. He didn't say if you get around to it, it's when you do. And Jesus, who's the Messiah, who's 100% God, 100% man as well, but he fasted for 40 days. If he needed spiritual strength, I know we do. Fasting. Uh, in the fall of this year, we're going to be fasting. I actually didn't come up with this idea on my own, but we're going to be fasting everything but food, like social media for a week. And I just want to ask you a second, what, what could happen to you if you put down social media and texting for a week? just want to throw that out there. Jordan Spieth 
And uh, most of you probably don't care much about golf because, you know, you don't spend a lot of time with the Lord and stuff. But, but Jordan Spieth is about to, he could win another tournament. If he wins this week, he, he's like his only one other golfer that ever did it. And they asked him today, what's, what's the key to what's going on? And he said, he goes, to be honest with you, I think it's that I don't, I don't do social media during these times because I know what I'm supposed to focus on. Your generation doesn't have an opportunity. Like the Lord speaks and you're overwhelmed and the next day you can't even remember what it is. But you remember whose Instagram account to go check out or who to Snapchat. You know about their story. They know about yours. But not the story. All right, I'm just saying, write down somewhere, consider it. Just for a week before you go back to school or before the summer ends, just to push away things we we typically think of pushing away the plate when we fast but but there there are other things that we can we can push away to have more excellence in the lord and the reason why i read this verse is because it says he sat down and he wept here's the question when is the last time you wept about something that god weeps about when is the last what makes you laugh what makes you excited what gets you up in the morning Nothing gets me up in the morning. Well, something's got, what causes you to want to sleep good at night? What is it that's inside of you? I'm going to tell you, your life will change if you know what your life call is. I'll give you an example of this. When we were in Bible school, way back in the day, there was this girl named Julie. I think it was Julie Stevens. Was that her name, Julie Stevens? And uh, you don't remember for sure. But she, Michelle wasn't in Bible school with me at that time. But Julie, she was a shy girl. And I'd ask you to raise your hand if you're shy, but it'll never happen. <laughs> You'll no longer be shy. And uh, the, only the bold people <laughs> raise their hand. I'm shy, I'll tell you that right now. <laughs> so, so anyway, he, she, she was so shy. So the dean of this particular uh, pulpit communications uh, was... He was, he, was, he was driven, and he loved to intimidate everybody. They had a camera, and uh, so it would be a room about this full, and then he would pause after the person would speak. You, the first speech was five minutes, second was seven, and at the end of the year, your final was ten minutes. He'd have the camera on. Everybody seated would have a critique sheet of your mannerisms, your articulation, your content, your eye contact, Everything about it. And then, so you would, that person would sit down and he would pause. And he would look around the room. And then he would call your name. And then he would ask everybody not to say a word. And you would walk up and you stand up. Well, you can imagine Julie, who's the shyest person I ever met. First speech she gave, tell me this didn't intimidate the class. First speech she, she gave, it's only a few minutes long. She got up there and she started crying. And then she cried more. He didn't try to bail her out. Somebody tried to help her. He, three minutes she just cried. He had a stopwatch. That's it. Thank you. And she walked back. <laughs> we all ran to her after the class and tried to say, Jesus is alive, I promise. And So he's part of the school. That man's not, but Christ is. And uh, next speech, five minutes. I tried to help her. Five minutes, she got up there. 
<laughs> and she started crying. He let her go five minutes. That's time. Sit down. It's like the 10 minute one's next. So I started meeting with her and I said, uh, I said, Julie, what were you going to speak on? And she, she said what it was and she could hardly even tell me. And I was, she goes, I was just going to speak about perpetuation for talents and tickets. And I said, what? <laughs> That's a horrible decision. That's why I was crying. It was a... So I said, look. So we talked, and then finally, that girl told me she had an abortion. She goes, that's what I would really like to talk about. That's what I want to talk about. I need to talk about it. I said, that's what you need to talk about. We wrote a sermon. It was time for her speech. Oh, well, we didn't know if it was time for her, but it was Julie Stevens. She walked up, put down her notes. I want to talk to you because three years ago I had an abortion. And then she laid out this 10-minute speech, standing ovation after. It was like, go, girl. Okay, what happened? Did she pray more? Did she have like this moment where just like a boldness? Did God bail her out? No. She got involved in her ministry. And the last I heard, I've lost contact with her, but the last I heard, this is still what she does. Ministers to girls. They got involved in abortion. What is it that makes you cry? What is it that gets you up in the morning? This is what Nehemiah had. He sat down and he wept when he thought about that wall. Number two, never, ever be a victim. You lived in a victimized generation. And what happens is it's always somebody else's fault. Some of you walked in here tonight. You're like mad at somebody here. Somebody else's fault. Somebody's laughing. I just stepped right on that. Tell me about it. <laughs> Victim. You don't do well at school. It's some teacher. If you, you, you're not happy, your mama. Uh, you know, you, you, you don't get fed. Amir. You know, whatever it is. Uh, I don't I don't know <laughs> true. Listen, you will grow exponentially by the Holy Spirit when you commit to never being that person again. Look, you need to thank God for people that are hindering you. I'm raising my kids, and they used to have teachers that didn't like them, and when the parents found out about it, a lot of times they swoop in and try to rescue the child, go in and work the teacher and write letters, and man, I... I didn't always like it, but I generally, my kids, my life, you, we have to have difficult people to become mature in Christ. Let's look at Nehemiah. He said, I confess. This is how he did it. Nehemiah, he said, I confess the sins we Israelites. Look at, please, look at that. We. Raise your hand if you need to ever confess of any sins. So when you get mad at someone else, you need to remember some people need to forgive you. It's not all about the people who offended you. We, we, so he's owning this, but he gets even better. It says, including myself and my father's house that we've committed against you. 
He was just like gut level honest in his role of this. And when we talk about our nation, some of you might be concerned about our nation. It says, if my people will humble themselves and pray, this is my nation. I can't just be pointing at this particular party or that particular senator or that particular decision. It's my nation. I got I to gotta repent to God for my nation and what I haven't done yet. I think, I think it's not always somebody else. That's all I'm trying to say. Can I have one more amen on that? Number three, remind God of his promises. In Nehemiah 1.8, this is what's going on, okay? Things are falling apart. People are getting negative. He's worried. And he's saying, Lord, please forgive us, Lord. We just, that's what's going on. We just, we got too much sin, Lord, even myself. Please. It wasn't like, Lord, save all these wretched, wicked people. We just, people I got to hang out. He's very honest. But then he says, Lord, I remind you of the promise that you said to Moses. Okay, here's my question. Whatever it is that the Lord is asking you to do, what's the promise? That was one of the points that Julie Stevens gave about abortion. And she got a promise. Uh, My daughter is very articulate now. But I remember when she was doing for a little age, maybe three years old, four, might have been a little bit older, Haley, she was stuttering. And my wife and I was like, what's what's going on? She's stuttering. And so I, I said, Lord, I want you to heal her. This is good. And, uh, and, and, and somebody reminded me, Rick, you need a verse to stand on in Titus. It says that she would have clarity of speech that would not be condemned. And we wrote that down and we started. You remember that show? We just believed that, stood, stood on that verse. I don't know why God likes to be reminded of his promises. Because I'm a dad and I hate it. When my kids remind me of stuff I said. So I just don't say anything anymore. But God loves it when you do it. There's 7,000 promises in the Bible. Claim one. Number four, don't be afraid to ask and ask big. Now, I'm almost done, but ask big. Tommy Barnett, I was just with him. Um, he's, he's, he's one of my favorite pastors. And uh, Tommy Barnett, who has done more for the things of God than just about any pastor I know of in the world. And one day he was asked, do you have any regrets? And he said, yeah, for sure. I didn't ask for more. Look, if you want to know, the hand of God is on New Life Church, okay? So I'll go ahead and say that. But there's a lot of things we could be doing, but I don't have the faith to ask. I'm like a ball and chain here. I know for sure. So it's a lot of time. There, there are buildings that, that God ended up supernaturally giving us. Church is not about a building, but, but it's something you can measure. And, and, and I didn't have the faith to get it. And one of our, my friends said, no, you, you need to believe for that. And it's like the Lord is saying, if you believe it, I'll hook you up. But somebody's got to believe it. And if you think about how negative we trend to be, like it's never going to work out. I'm always going to be lonely. I'm never going to have any friends. I'm never going to be pretty. And you might be right. But the fact is that God has a much bigger plan in your life than what's causing you angst. Are y'all with me? All right. And the last thing, and then I'm out of here. 
if I, oh, yeah, let me just tell you the story. Y'all mind if I tell the story? Okay. My, when I, my dad taught me how to ask big. I want to talk, if you're in the sports, this is yours, okay? My dad asked me, he said, Rick, if you don't see it, you, if it, this is not big and you don't see it, it'll never happen. I was in the ninth grade and there was this golfer, his name is Brett Pinson. He was the best golfer in, in all of, probably one of the top golfers in the nation. But he was a senior, I was a freshman, and every time we played, I would literally have to go over and introduce myself to this guy. And he forgot my name every time because I'd never beat him. So I'd go over and I'd say, hey, my name back in those days, it was Ricky. I'd say, hey, my name is Ricky Bezet. And he goes, hey, I'm Brett Pinson. And we'd play and he'd beat me. Next time i go up and say, hey, we met. What's your name? Ricky Bezet. And then the next time, hey, Brett, what's up? Who are you? Ricky Bezet. Uh, so this happened over and over. So his senior year, now it's his senior year, and I still had never beat him. And, uh, and my dad says, because you don't see it. He said, you need to write it down until you see it. It's got to get inside of you. I wrote it down. I put it on the refrigerator, and here was the note. It said, I will beat Brett Pinson before the end of the year, Rick Bazette. So I saw that note every day. It was on, on the ba- I put it on the, uh, the, the mirror in the bathroom, and I put it in on the refrigerator in the kitchen. I spent a lot of time in that kitchen. And uh, so, so I saw it, okay? So every time I'd go, throughout that year, we played six matches, if I'm not mistaken. And uh, five of them, he beat me every time. The last match, this is it. He graduates after this round. It's over. Like, I, I could never beat him again. It would matter. This vision has got a deadline to it. So I'm walking out, and I, I got in my little car, and I realized, I'm going to bring that note. I grabbed that note. I put it in my pocket. I went up to the tee box. I said, hey, Brad, how you doing? What's your name? Ricky Bezet. And I said, uh, but read this. And I took it out of my pocket. And I said, read it. Read it out loud. It'll be fun. Read it, read it out loud. <laughs> he said, I will. This is... Him reading my note. I will beat Brett Pinson before the end of the year, Rick Bazette. And I said, of course it said Ricky Bazette. I said, that's me. And you're Brett. <laughs> and this is the last you're going down today. Okay. Even if I wouldn't have beat him, he'd still remember me after that. <laughs> so we got, we hit, we teed off. And then uh, hole for hole, it was just like I was playing around in my life and I was keeping up with him, and uh, fortunately, he was having a bad round. And so we got up to the last hole, and we were tied. Number 18, Greenwood Golf Course in Baker, Louisiana, out of bounds down the left side in case you ever want to go see it. And I took the note out. He was about to hit. He had birdied the hole before to tie me, and I took the note out, and I went pop, pop, just like that. I popped it right in space. I said, don't forget, pow, popped it like that. He looked at me, and he teed the ball up. Brett Pinson snap-hooked it out of bounds, and I beat him that day. Give it up for me. I beat that boy. All right. My dad was right, and some of you, the enemy just tearing you down. You need to take out the word. Pop. Pop that thing up in his face. Believe for something. Find, write down, when you get home, write down what you, what you could change about yourself an emotion about yourself, something that bothers you about yourself, an insecurity about yourself, 
but you're afraid of what people think about yourself, write it down. And why not roll that over to God and just pop it in the devil's face? That's not who you are. You can turn your life around with the Spirit of God and the Word of God. And then the last thing, and this is the one I'm the worst at. Don't forget to celebrate and give God credit for what's happening. Look, let's, let, let elevation be a place that, that celebrates. You can look at these verses later. I'm not going to read them. In Nehemiah chapter 6, 15 and 16, you can see the wall's finished and some great things are happening, man. Then in Nehemiah 8.10, you can see celebration. They're going crazy. They got the joy going. Look at all that a little bit later on. But I just want to let you know that be a person that takes time aside to give him some thanks. Be a, be a praiseaholic. I mean, be, be a person, because we got prayer requests. Raise your hand if you have any prayer requests. Come on, in your life. But what are you praising him for? What are you thankful for? I tell you one thing, you ought to be thankful for this group. This one of this this is incredible. I, w- I wish I could come to this all the time and just sit in one of those circles and 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 pray with you guys. You need this. Be thankful for that. Don't take it for granted. God put you here. God has given you the word. He's given you his spirit. He's calling you to do something. You're never going to be alone. You don't have to be insecure. Your life is great. You're going to have a career. You're actually going to get married. Somebody's going to love you. Your kids are going to be rebellious, but you're going to work on it. I mean, come on. We got the Lord. Let's give him some praise up in the house, in our lives, in our car. Turn on some music. And go crazy for the Lord. He's in love with you. You might be a misfit. You might have weaknesses. But when I look around, the Lord's using people. It just doesn't make sense. Because he doesn't have many people that are willing. So just jump in because Christianity is a blast. When you do it this way. We're going to heaven, but some of you are not enjoying the trip. Let's enjoy this thing, all right? Now, high five somebody and tell them you love them. Come on, you're glad they are here.